Today again, everyone, I'll pray before we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this wonderful reminder uh, that we are saved by faith alone. And so we pray tonight that you will help us to grow in our faith, that you'll strengthen our faith, and that you'll help us to understand just why that is the most wonderful news ever. In Jesus' name, Amen. Back when I was at school and uh, then when I was at uni, I had all sorts of part-time jobs to uh, earn some cash while I was studying. One of the best jobs I had, though, was as a fabric dispersion officer. Uh, It sounds very impressive. That was the title we gave ourselves. I drove a dry-cleaning delivery van. That's what I did. So uh, what we would do is they had about uh, six or seven shops, uh, but they only had one place that did the actual cleaning, so we'd just drive this continual loop picking up all the dirty clothes and taking back all the clean clothes. And uh, that was great. It was a great job. It was actually very hard work, carrying massive bags of clothes. I didn't realise how much a bag full of, you know, 10 or 15 coats and pairs of jeans and all that sort of thing weighs. Uh, And especially when you had to carry the clean clothes, they all had to be on their own wire clothes, uh, what do you call that? Coat hanger uh, covered in plastic. When you have about 40 of those on your hand, you end up with a hand that's just sort of bruised and got gouges. You know, I'm just trying to tell you how hard I worked. But uh, it was all worth it on a Friday afternoon because on a Friday afternoon, I got paid. Uh, and let me tell you, the pay then didn't go straight into your bank account. That's quite a disappointing thing because, you know, you've got to check your bank account to see the money's gone in there. We got a little envelope and you tear the top off and pull it out and there were these $20 notes or $50, sometimes even a $100 note, which was pretty amazing, let me tell you, back in 1992. So uh, that was amazing. I, I loved it because I'd earned that money. I'd worked for it. I got it. And let me tell you, though, if I got there on the Friday and there was no pay packet, I would have been ropeable. I would have been upset because I was owed that money. It wasn't a gift. Because, you see, a gift is different. You don't earn a gift. Uh, if someone doesn't give you a gift, you can't complain. So even as I say that, I realise there are lots of people who do complain when they're not given a gift. But fair-minded people can't complain. You can't say, you owe me a gift, because that, that's just silly, because then it wouldn't be a gift, it'd be a wage, it'd be something you're owed. So you earn wages, you can be proud of your hard work, whereas a gift is just that, a gift. You don't earn it, you just receive it with thanks. Well, if you have learned nothing else over these first few chapters of the book of Romans, I hope we have learned one thing, and that is that the forgiveness that God offers, the righteousness we receive from Christ, it is a free gift. You do not earn it, You don't work for it. God doesn't owe it to you. You just accept it. Now, just so I'm not disappointed, like I was at the two morning congregations this morning, the next question I'm going to ask is not meant to be a rhetorical question. You are meant to be overcome with excitement and yell out the answer to me. How do we accept the gift God gives us? By? Oh, well done. You're my favourite congregation. There you go. Don't tell anyone. See, that is the greatest news there has ever been. That that is the wonder of the gospel because the truth is if it wasn't by faith, heaven would be empty. The kingdom of God would be empty because you cannot earn it. And that's another thing we've learned in these first few chapters of Romans. God, we can't deal with our sin. We, We can't be righteous. So God gives us the gift of righteousness. We are made right with God simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we, we praise God. Isn't it? That's why we, we sing these songs, reminding ourselves of it every week. It is the greatest news there has ever been. 
But that raised a really important question for us, uh, and that is, what is faith? You know, what is the faith that saves us? What does it look like to believe and trust in Jesus? We talk about it all the time, but it's a pretty important question, isn't it? If we're saved by faith, you want to make sure I've got faith. You want to make sure you know what it's talking about. So we're going to get to that question. The thing with the Bible, though, is, is it's dealing with questions people 2,000 years ago had. And so this passage is actually answering a question that's not our question. You see, back then, the problem the Jews had with the gospel was, their issue was, why has God suddenly changed the rules? That was their question. You know, they, they said, God has been speaking to us forever. You know, he started with Abraham, and we know that only people like us are meant to be right with God, only people who are circumcised, only people who obey the Old Testament law. That's who God considers righteous. But now Jesus comes along, and, and Paul comes along preaching about Jesus, and they're saying, God is suddenly happy to let everyone in. He's happy for the gospel to go to all nations if people will just believe. Well, how can God change the rules now, I actually think a lot of Christians actually think like the Jews did. I, I'm amazed how many people, Christians I'm talking about, who think the God of the Old Testament saved people by works and the God of the New Testament saves people by faith, as if God changed at, at that point. But that was the question that the Jews had. Uh, but the thing is, in answering their question, Paul answers our question. And so that's why I want you to, to follow along, even as it's a question, it's not overly our question, but Paul's answer to their question is really simple. He says there hasn't been any change at all. He says God has always and only ever related to people by faith. No one has ever been saved by their works. It's always been by faith. And so what Paul does is he says to the Jews, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you by showing you your two greatest heroes, so if you ask any Jew who, who are your greatest heroes back from the Old Testament, they would have said Abraham, the father of our faith, and King David. You don't get any bigger in the Old Testament than Abraham and David. It's like proving something to an American about their constitution. You'd say, well, I'm going to tell you what George Washington and Abraham Lincoln believed. As I think about it, I'm not even certain they knew the constitution. But anyway, you, you get the point. To an Australian about cricket... I'm going to tell you what Don Bradman and Shane Warne said. You know. So Paul says, I'm going to use Abraham and David to prove this point. And I'll show you that even those two greatest men were sinners who were only ever saved by faith, just like we are. Now, as I say, that can all sound a bit academic for us. It can all sound interesting, but so what? But this is where I want you to have that other question in mind, because as he answers their question, he answers ours. See, what this question does is shine a light into faith, into what faith is, which I think is incredibly helpful because if you're saved by faith, you want to make sure you've got it. And more than that, I find a lot of people really confused about faith. They, they don't actually understand what we mean when we say the word faith. So I've broken the chapter into three parts. Come with me. We're going to look at each in turn. First of all, faith and righteousness, verses 1 to 8. Then faith versus signs of faith in verses 9 to 15. And then finally, learning from Abraham's faith, verses 16 to 25. So come with me, faith and righteousness, verse 1. It says, What then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag or boast about. So as I said before, you've got to understand how important Abraham is. He was the father of Israel. Every Jew was physically descended from Abraham. That is what it is to be a Jew. It's to trace your ancestry back to Abraham. Now, you can read Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 11, 
through to 25. And I encourage you to go and do that this week. But the thing about Abraham was many of the Jews believed that he was the great example of righteousness. That, that he was obviously, you know, God had to have chosen him because he was so holy, because he was, he was righteous. But if you've ever read Genesis, you know that is just not true, don't you? So the thing about Abraham was he was a full-on pagan. It wasn't like Abraham was sitting there thinking, I'm seeking after God, I'm, I'm trying to find God, and then God chose him. No, God was, Abraham was worshipping the sun. He was an idolater. He, he was a pagan when God, out of nowhere, picked him and, and spoke to him. Abraham didn't seek after God. He was a sinner, just like us. And even after God called him, if you read his story, at different times he was a liar, he was a coward, and his worst moment... He was even an adulterer. But like us, God accepted him despite his sin. Like us, he was made right with God by faith. And so what he does is he goes back into that passage we read before from Genesis 15 to prove it, and he quotes it, and he proves that Abraham had nothing to brag about. Look at verse 3. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. See, God came along... And he made Abraham these incredible promises of land and of descendants and of blessings and how God was going to use him to actually bless the whole world. Had Abraham done anything to deserve it? Nothing at all. But what he did do was believe what God said to him. Now, the key word there, look with me, is credited. I was talking to someone over at the hub who's an accountant. Well, tonight is the chapter for the accountants. So if you are an accountant tonight, be proud. This is your night. Uh, if you imagine a great heavenly book of accounts, if you imagine, see the accounts are going, wow, this is amazing, but everyone else, go with me. This is what, it's an accounting image, imagine of a spreadsheet, and every one of us has a page in that spreadsheet. There's a page for Abraham, there's a page for David, there's a page for Phil, there's a page for Troy, there's a page for every one of us, and if you turn to Abraham's page, there would have been this whole list of sins down the debit column, that's the bad column. There would have been a whole list of sins, just like on my page, and just like on your page. It'd be exactly the same. But then there's a red line through it all. Actually, accountants use green pens, don't they? A green line through it all. And then on the credit column, the good sign, just two words, declared righteous, declared righteous, justified. And the date next to it, the date of the transaction, the day he believed the day he trusted God, the day he came to faith. See, this is the point of verses 4 and 5. Look there with me now. It says, Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. This is so important. You see, we saw last week, Jesus has paid the price for our sin. His death has turned aside God's righteous anger. Do you remember the big word from last week? Propitiation. I hope you all used it in a sentence like I asked you to. No. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, what we saw last week, when we have faith, Jesus takes our sin upon himself. He takes our sin off us and takes it upon himself and he takes the judgment that we deserve. This is the other side of the coin. When we have faith, God credits Jesus' righteousness to us. 
It's the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin on himself and he puts his righteousness on us. And so as it says there, God declares the ungodly to be righteous. If you're someone who, I don't like writing in my Bible, if you're someone who does, underline that line because it's the most wonderful line. It's It's not that we have done something good and so God says, okay, I'll reward you. He comes to us when we are ungodly and declares us to be righteous. It's a gift. If you look further on, go to verses 6 to 8. He just makes the same point, but this time using the other great hero, King David. He says, look, David didn't earn his righteousness either. He was a sinner too. And if you know the Old Testament story of David, David was the sinner par excellence. No one could be in any doubt that he was righteous by his own works. But what did he do? He turned to God and he said, I'm sorry for my sin, but I trust in you. And so God declared David righteous because of his faith. And so the point is, what is good enough for Abraham, what is good enough for the great King David, is good enough for you and me. We are no different. We don't earn our righteousness. Instead, we believe in him who declares the ungodly to be righteous and who gives us this wonderful gift. Jesus' death squares the ledger, if you like, and we receive it by faith. Faith is the key. Now, that is the greatest news we will ever hear. Never take that for granted. Even if you've heard that a billion times, never let it wash over you. It is the greatest news. Because if we are not saved by faith, if we we do not receive righteousness by faith, we have no hope. Because there is no one righteous, no one can earn it. So keep trusting in the one who declares the ungodly, like me and you, to be righteous. But we're still left asking, what is faith? What does it look like to trust and believe? Well, before we see that, we're going to see what faith isn't. It's actually quite helpful in understanding what faith is to know what it isn't. And that's the next part. I've called it faith versus signs of faith. So come with me to verse 9. And the point here is, it is so easy to mistake religion for faith. The Jews did it. And Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years. It is so easy to mistake people being religious for people having faith. Or the way I've put it, to mistake the signs of faith for the reality of faith. Come with me to verse 9. He starts with a question. He says, is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? I must admit, I don't get asked that question very often. In in, in 20-something years of pastoral ministry... I don't think any life course, someone has said to me, tell me, Phil, is this blessing only for the circumcised? I've never had that question in a gospel team. I've never had that question in a question time. Next time I have a question time, someone's going to ask it now. But you see, and this is that point of how they ask, they're they're at a different point of history. They're asking different questions to us, but we can still learn from their questions. See, I don't think there is anyone here who cares about who's circumcised. It's really hard for us to understand just what a big deal circumcision was for the Jews. Circumcision, the, the removal of the male foreskin, was the physical sign given, by, given to Abraham by God to set apart those who belonged to God. It separated God's people from those who didn't belong to God. Every Jewish boy was circumcised. They still are. You see, circumcision was only ever meant to be an outward physical sign of an inward spiritual reality. See, it was the outward sign 
that a person was of the faith, that, that a person believed in the one true God. The problem was the sign had become more important than the reality. And the Jews had begun to trust in the sign rather than what the sign pointed to. Over time, they began to think that was what made the difference. It was circumcision that made you righteous. Paul just knocks that right on the head. And he does it by talking about Abraham again. Look from verse 9. It's quite a convoluted argument, but it's all about timing. Look at it. Verse 9, it says, For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? His point is, did, did God make, declare Abraham righteous before he was circumcised or after? And the answer is quite simple. If you read Genesis, he says, not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he already had. The righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. Now, I hope you see the point he's making. He's setting out a timeline, and you can read Genesis and see how it's true. Abraham believed God, God declares him to be righteous, and all that happened when he wasn't circumcised. He then got circumcised later because God told him to and he obeyed God, but that was only ever a sign of something that was already true. It was only ever a sign of what had happened, and the reality was he had put his faith in God and his promises. Circumcision didn't make him righteous, it showed that he already was by faith. Now, as I said, I don't think people here at St. George North have a problem with circumcision, not that I'm aware of anyway. I've not yet been called in to a gospel team because there is someone there saying that all the men need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. Back then, Paul was. Back then, people followed him around and said, well, Paul's been telling you that you've just got to trust in Jesus. No, I'm telling you, you've got to get circumcised as well. It was a live issue for them in a way that it isn't for us. But it actually still raises a really important issue for us because Christians have, for 2,000 years, often confused the signs with the reality. See, there are all sorts of signs or indicators of, of a true faith, things Christians must and should do if we are people of faith. Baptism is a sign that someone is a Christian. Praise God, we baptised someone at the 9am service this morning. But I made the point. Baptism doesn't save this person. Trusting in Jesus and his promises is what they need to do. See, attending church, reading the Bible, they're all great things. They are signs and indicators of a true and living faith, but they don't save you. And the thing is, sometimes we, like the Jews who Paul was dealing with, we can start to care more about the signs than we do about the reality. I was baptised, I'm okay, even though there is no real personal faith in the true and living God. I'm, I'm a member of the Anglican Church, I'm okay, even though there is no real personal faith. It doesn't mean don't do these things, by the way, they're acts of godliness, they're the gifts God gives us to keep us in the faith, but don't rely on them. Here is the reality, there will be plenty of people in heaven who were never baptised with water, and there will also be more than a few in hell who were baptised with water, because it's just the symbol the reality is, did they trust in Jesus? Faith is the key, not the signs of faith. Don't ever confuse the signs, no matter how important they are, no matter how good they are, don't ever confuse the signs with the reality. Well, now we come to the last section, where we get to that question I've been raising. 
What does saving faith look like? Come with me. My third point, last point, learning from Abraham's faith from verse 16. See, the Jews were wrong to think that Abraham was the great example of righteousness, but they were right to think that he's the great example. They just had what he was an example of wrong. He's the great example of faith. The Abraham story is a great one. You can read Genesis for yourself later on. But Paul gives us a summary from verse 17. Come with me there. Now, it's quite a long bit I'm going to read out, so please follow along to to stick with it. This is what he says from halfway through verse 17. Abraham, he believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things to existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, God was also able to perform. Now what are we reading there? What he's doing is he's giving you a snapshot of the story of Abraham. God came to this man living in a far-off land. He said, I'm going to give you a land hundreds of miles away. And Abraham said, I trust you, God, and walked over there. But the thing that really showed his faith is how God came to him as an old man with his old wife and no children, and God said, you are going to be the father of many nations. And that through you, your offspring, this whole world will be blessed. And Abraham believed it. There's so much that we learn about faith from Abraham's examples, but two things I want to draw out. So come with me. The first is, saving faith is in the promises of God. See, God gave Abraham this promise that he would be the father of many nations. And so Abraham believed God's promise. God, I trust that you will make this happen. And, that, and his faith, you see, was only worthwhile because the God who made the promises was trustworthy. So important to understand this. You need to remember, faith is only as good as what you put your faith in. Abraham trusted God to do these things because he believed the God that promised them was trustworthy. See, he didn't just believe that God was good in some vague sense. He believed in these specific promises that God had made to him. So often I talk to people who say they have faith, who say they're a Christian. When I ask them, what do you believe They vaguely believe in God, they say. They they vaguely believe that that God is good. Other people I talk to and they they say, I don't have faith, but I wish I did. I I wish I had faith or I wish I had your faith, they often say, as if somehow I've got something special about me that I believe or something. Let me tell you, everyone has faith. We have faith that our, those of you who set an alarm clock, I know many of you are students and don't have to, but... If you set an alarm clock, you have faith when you set it that it will go off in the morning. See, the reality is, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, if you haven't plugged the clock into the wall, it's not going to wake you up. You're still there. See, your faith is only as valid as the thing you put your faith in. You have faith that that, that I'll pick you up at the time I say I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock, say. But if I'm not reliable, you can have all the faith in the world and you'll still be standing on the side of the road at midnight because I'm not going to come and pick you up. You see, it's what your faith is in that matters. Is it in something or someone that is trustworthy? 
This is really important to understand. It's not a vague faith in God that saves. It's faith in the one God revealed himself in. See, God revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's faith in the promises that he has made us. That's what saves. And so what are the promises God has made to you? What is our faith in for it to be saving faith? Look down at verse 24. He says, Abraham's example is written down for us because, look there, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead and that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, that's the faith that saves. It's faith in the God who sent his son to die for your trespasses, that's your sins, and then raised him to life. See, the faith that saves is centred on Jesus. And it's not just faith in facts. It's not just, I believe that Jesus died. It's not just that I believe that he rose again. No, it's that he died for my trespasses, for my sins. And it's not just believing he rose from the dead. It's faith in the fact that his resurrection has confirmed that, that his death has paid the price, that now I am right with God. You see, faith is saying, I trust in Jesus, so now I know that I'm right with God. And I know that when Jesus returns to judge, God will welcome me into his kingdom. I am now a child of God. See, that is the promise of God that you believe in if you are a Christian. That's why true saving faith goes hand in hand with assurance. See, sometimes when you, when you, the sign that someone has really grasped the gospel, that they truly have faith in Jesus, is when you ask them, will you be there in glory? When Jesus returns, or if you died tonight and you stood before him, will you be there? If someone says, I hope so, they haven't understood the gospel. If someone says, I hope so, no, you haven't grasped it. The Christian says, yes, because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I trust in Jesus, and so I have a place in God's kingdom. I am right with God. It sounds arrogant, but actually it's the opposite of arrogance, Christian assurance. It's saying, I can be assured because I know what Jesus has done for me. Second thing, though, about Abraham's faith we see here, and the last thing we'll see. You can look at many, many other things in your gospel teams this week. But the second thing is, Abraham believed despite his circumstances. See, think about it. God promised him, you are going to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But remember what his situation was when he received that promise. He didn't have any children. He was already 100 years old, says there he thought his body was already dead. He'd been trying forever, but his wife was 90 years old and said her, her womb was barren. All his circumstances suggested there was no way God could fulfill this promise. You imagine as Abraham shared this with his friends, God said, I'm going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the night sky. They would have laughed at him. He laughed at some points as he, as he sort of thought, is this really going to happen? He and Sarah laughed about it. But, Abraham said, despite the circumstances, God has made me this promise. And even though all the evidence suggests it could not happen, Abraham did not waver in unbelief. He kept trusting, he kept believing. Now, why? It's because of what he knew about the God who made the promise. That's why. Look at verse 17. It says, he believed in the God who gives life to the dead. If God can give life to the dead, he can give us a baby, even if we are 190. 
It says he believed in the God who calls things into existence that do not exist. That's the God who created everything by speaking at the beginning of time. He believed God can create anything from nothing. Of course he can, he can fulfill his promise to me. So how could Abraham believe when all his circumstances told him that God couldn't do it? Because he believed in the God who can do anything. See, that is faith. Faith is trusting in the promises of God because of who we know God to be. And trusting even when it seems there's no way God could do this. Now, faith is so much easier for us than it is for Abraham, than it was for Abraham. Think about this. We, we live this side of Jesus. We, we live this, our faith is grounded in what we know God has already done and what is recorded for us in the scriptures. We have it so much better than Abraham. But even so, like Abraham, sometimes we are all tempted to doubt God's goodness and tempted to doubt God's mercy and God's grace. Sometimes faith is really hard. Sometimes things seem to cast doubt on God's promises. All sorts of things can rock us and make us question God's promises. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's my own sin. I was like, you know, really? Jesus' death can pay for a sinner like me? You know, how could I be forgiven? Sometimes it's our lack of prayer. And we sort of think, am I really a Christian if I struggle so hard to talk to the, the God who sent his son for me? Sometimes it's external things. We start to think, is God really good? Because he seems to be letting bad stuff happen to me. Tragedies happen. You're struck by sickness. Your family is struck by sickness. You, you lose your job. Friends and family let you down. Sometimes your church family lets you down. Sometimes it is really, really hard to keep trusting. But like Abraham, faith means continuing to hold on to the promises of God even when they seem distant, even when they seem impossible. And like Abraham, we strengthen our faith by reminding ourselves over and over again of what we know to be true about God, reminding ourselves over and over again of his power and his goodness. We look back constantly to what he has done, look back constantly to the death of Jesus, the innocent son of God who died to save us. We look back, we remind ourselves daily, God keeps his word. I am right with God, God keeps his promises. He will not ever let me down. So remind ourselves that we know even better than Abraham that our God gives life to the dead because we know that Jesus is risen. We have the certain hope of eternal life. So when you are tempted to waver in unbelief, remind yourself of the promises God has made you. And we need to remind ourselves about the God we know who has made us those promises and then we need to believe and trust in him because that is the faith that God credits to us as righteousness. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful news because we know that if it was about our righteousness, there would be no one saved. There would be no one who earned a place in your kingdom. So we thank you that instead you have dealt with our problem and that by trusting in our Lord Jesus, you declare us to be righteous. And so, Father, we pray that we would walk in the footsteps of Abraham that we would be people who trust in your promises, whatever our circumstances. And Father, when we are struggling to trust, we pray that we would keep turning back to remind ourselves of just what you have done for us in Christ and why that gives us the certain hope for the future. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.